This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 1982's pieces, directed by Juan Picor Simon. But first our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. We've already done this. B and I <laughs> just did about 30 minutes of fucking recording, and my side didn't record for some damn reason. So it be recorded, so there's a one-sided audio of B just talking about things. And mm-hmm. uh, we this has happened a couple times when we've recorded, and it's really annoying because obviously you can't recapture like the the genuine and authenticness of like things. So I just, I'm so annoyed right now. Uh, watch scare me, watch the strings, watch Ted Lasso. That's what you're getting from me. Go listen to MGK's new album. I turned 32. There you go. That's my shit. Um, uh, yeah. Just, yeah. I just, Oh, that annoys me so much, but seriously, go watch scare me. It's on shutter. Uh, the strings is debuting at Salem horror fest, and then it will probably get picked up and debut somewhere. And I'll talk about it again. Ted Lasso's on Apple Plus. Um, it's Jason Sudeikis, um, and it's very, very good. And then MGK's new album is great, and B and I spent about two years coming around on him, fell in love with him during quarantine, and now that he's fully pop punk and emo, we are super into him. Yeah, I mean... There's my info dump. That's... I mean, you're just saving yourself the time. I mean, you don't have to listen to ryan blath on for 15 minutes about that stuff yeah and now i'm 32 and i'm excited to have a new year because 31 was transitional at best yes that is the nice word we use to describe that year yes um i watched the bill and ted movies for the first time essentially and i just thought they were super fun and wholesome and exactly what the world needs right now. And I'm so glad they decided to put them out on VOD. And I mean, I'm not sad that I've never watched them before because, I mean, it's fine. But I did really enjoy it and they were super fun. Um, I'm glad I've filled that pop culture void. Um I watched the, I did a double feature of The Babysitter and The Babysitter Killer Queen. Um, You won't get the organic reaction of Ryan being shocked when I told him I didn't care for the sequel because he didn't know that. I saved it for the podcast. Yeah, damn it. But uh, I loved, so I feel like I'm in the minority of absolutely five star 
a plus loving the babysitter um it's honestly like one of my favorite horror comedies uh i super duper love it so the second one was a disappointment to me i thought it hit the right tones i thought the comedy was great if not better at times i loved that the cast returned um I had issues with the atmosphere, with like the set, the cinematography felt really low budget to me in comparison and lacked um, that same sense of charm that the first one had. Um, And the first one had a very deliberate set and the house was styled a very particular way and that all very much played into the film for me. And the feelings I got and it really lacked that in the second one. And it was hard for me to get over that as well as like a couple storyline things with characters I didn't super duper love. Um, But I still liked it. I wasn't like, I don't like this movie. And we love Robbie ML. Love Robbie ML. Love Robbie ML shirtless the whole movie. Love them joking about Robbie ML being shirtless the whole movie. Um, A plus on that. I would take lots more movies with that. (laughs) Um, and then I read, I'm still trying to read two books a month. I read The Family Upstairs by Lisa Jewell. She's a British, um, like thriller author. I've talked about her books on here before. Um, The Third Wife and, oh my God, I just said it five seconds ago and I already forgot what it was called. Some about family? Then she was gone. Oh, then she was gone. Um, highly, highly recommend all of those. Um, this one, The Family Upstairs, is about... This is the one with family in the title. Yeah. Uh, this is about a, like, socialite family in the 80s that, uh, sort of meets this musician and he turns the family into, like, a commune slash cult type way of living and like shuts them out of society and it follows the storyline of the children that lived in the house when this was happening and uh then it cuts to 25 years later we're following one of the children as an adult we're hearing from the storyline of the past and then we're hearing from the storyline of the 25 year old daughter of one of the socialites who didn't realize she was connected to this family because her parents participated in a suicide pact. Um, And so we're trying to figure out what happened at this house. Um, And it all gets intertwined and it's, it's a super good mystery. Lisa Jewell is a master at releasing information um, at great times, keeping you invested um, highly recommend all of her books. I actually just got one from the library today called Watching You. So I'm excited to dive into that one. And then in very slasher related news, I read Fear Street's uh, Party Games, which if you're not familiar with Fear Street, it's R.L. Stein's like young adult novels. So it's like goosebumps for teenagers. Uh, Party Games is a slasher. Um, and unfortunately, I was aware of what slasher it was mirroring before I read it, which for me, if I know the ending of something, it's hard for me to enjoy it. So I really liked it and thought it was fun, but I felt anxious the whole time because I was just waiting for the reveal that I knew was coming. 
Um, it is a movie that we have covered. Interesting. If you read the, if you read the synopsis, you're going to figure it out. Um, I don't want to give it away though, but if you're wanting like, and I mean, this is a, a book for children. Like this is definitely not, but you can power through it quickly. And as a slasher fun fan, it was uh, fun to read for sure. Um, so oh, I already know what this is. Okay. Yes. Like, like I, said, like, I read, read one sentence yeah. and I was like, I know what yeah. this is. Okay. If you read the synopsis, you know what slasher it is. Um, but I'll, I'll let you go in blind if you, if you so feel so. Um, but yeah, that's our really quick pop culture check-in. Um, yeah, I know. Sorry guys. It was, it, it was way more detailed. Oh, you it's watched okay. Extra, Extraordinary too. I did. Um, I will save that for next week. Well, oh, actually, yeah. I can talk about this week. Um, I just don't know if I'm going to have anything to talk about next episode. Just, just save I'll, it. We'll go. We'll I'll go save deep it. it. Yeah. Because Ryan's also watched it, and I have a yeah. fun story to tell about my experience watching it. So it's good. Yeah. Uh, look, look forward to that next week. Yeah, next week you guys will get a hopefully fully recorded pop culture check in. Um, yeah. So. Oh boy. Okay. Um, yeah. The movie. Oh, this movie is V's favorite. So the movie we're covering is Pieces from 1982. Um, the co-eds of a Boston college campus are targeted by a mysterious killer who is creating a human jigsaw puzzle from their body parts. Uh, it was released first in Spain, um, August 23rd, 1982. And its um, original title, like Spanish title, is... Uh, Mil Gritos Tiene La Noche, um, which means the night has 1,000 screams. Um, I am super white. A cool title. So I did my best um, if I if I butchered that. Um, but I do think the night has 1,000 screams is a cool title. Completely inappropriate. Like, I mean. Any I, sense for yes, this movie. Yes, people die at night. Um, also so, during the sure. day. Yeah. Like, um, but it is a neat title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then released a little over a year later in the U.S., October 14th, 1983. So how many years? Is that 37? years ago? Yeah, 37 years ago. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah. It's like it's a whole grown-ass person ago. Yeah. Older than me, at least. Yeah. Um, it was the budget, you know, it's always questionable with these movies. There's always numbers out there and it's like, um, sure. We'll say that's true. Uh, 300,000, um, $2 million box office. This was a successful film. Um, yeah. like su they were surprised by how successful it was in the States. Um, it became a like drive in like, um, what did they call it? Uh, not Grindhouse, but um, um, not a midnight movie, is it? It might have been midnight movie, um, but it was basically like just the most requested movie. People, audiences loved it, um, and became super massive at drive-ins. Um, it has a forty-six uh, critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, fifty-one percent audience score. I love this from uh, Scott Weinberg. Uh, terrible movie in a definite must-see. Yeah, I appreciated that um, I, review. I do really appreciate that. If you don't follow Scott on Twitter, you definitely should um, because he's really entertaining and always has good things to say. Yeah, Scott's a lot of fun. He's a good guy. Um, and then Jacob Knight uh, for Birth Movies Death said, an utter masterwork of a logic. 
Yeah, I had to pick the ones that I was like, these are both good and bad in the same sense. So I think that is appropriate for this movie. Um, after finishing the movie, it totally makes sense to me. But some trivia I found on it is in some interview, um, this is Eli Roth's favorite slasher movie. That does not surprise me right? at all. I finished the no. movie. I'm like, uh-huh, that tracks. 100% yep. tracks. So there's yeah. that perception for you. Take that for what you want. Yeah. Um, this Spanish poster is rad. I had never seen it before. I'm very used to the American, like, international poster. That's the one I usually see. Yeah. Um, but this Spanish one, I mean, B will go into greater detail. But for me, it looks like a – it just, like, looks like an old paperback novel, right? Um yeah, um, it, and like something about the colors, it, it's scary, but also something about the coloring and stuff, it almost looks like it's a Western, because it's it had like, the, the yeah. red and the yellow, yeah. No, so. it for sure looks like a Western, um, and probably because that, I mean, I'm assuming that's in Spanish, so um, it sort of has this like spaghetti Western look. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I like it, although... I don't know what's up with like the devil face thing going on. That's really terrifying and doesn't exist yeah. in the movie. But it's, I mean, this genuinely creeps me out. Like I'd be afraid to watch this um, and then watch the movie and be like, that's not what I was expecting. Um, and we all know how I feel about that. Um, but I love the color palette. The yellows with the pinks and reds is really good. And, and the way the film, the way it's set up for sure is nice. Um, I like the composition. I like the highlight on the chainsaw without having to show the detail of the chainsaw. Um, I don't know what's up with the lightning. I mean, or like the weird devil face. Like some weird details on there, but you know, it's it's fine. It's fine. Um, the American poster, super duper duper iconic. Um, even if you've never seen or heard of this movie, you've seen this poster. Guarantee it. Um, set up like a lot of film posters at this time where we sort of have um it's like alice sweet alice um that's actually has sort of a bit of an even older style well 82 so um this speaks much more to like proto slasher styling of poster um than it does an actual 80 slasher and that might be part of the spanish influence or the fact that it is from 82 um and just wasn't on that whole kick of the movies that started the bang in the 80s. Anyhow, and I say that because you'll often see this sort of picture within the frame where you have your square of the subject matter and then it bleeds onto like a solid color frame that then has your typography on it. Um, and you'll see that a lot in the more proto-slasher uh poster designs um so this one has and i mean i love this poster it's super super well done so we have our pieced together woman we are super duper highlighting at like a massive scale the chainsaw um that's like up on this like velvet pedestal um and both of them are like bleeding out onto the color frame with the tagline, you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. 
um, which is an excellent tagline, especially after, especially for a drive-in um, in the time that this came out. Um, absolutely no one under 17 admitted to this performance. And then you have pieces with the typography, like disjointed, um, torn apart in a ragged way. Love that. It's perfect. Um, ties back into like literally the movie and like the big finale. Um, it's exactly what you think it is. Um, and it is uh, like, I would say by far, like one of the best posters we've covered for sure. Yeah, I love that poster. And like, this is one of those slashers too that I watched it a couple years ago after I heard about it and talking about it on Shockwaves. Um, but this was the poster, right? That you just, it's one of those ones you just recognize because it's so often brought up. Um, yeah, this movie has a fuckload of taglines. The, um, the ones I wrote down are the ones that weren't like super generic because, you know, it had some of those like your introduction to terror or a tale of the macabre. And I'm like, the, I'm not writing these down. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, the one, the two that are on the poster are you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre, which I love. Yeah, it's really, um, really smart. Yeah. And then, like B said, it's exactly what you think it is, which is such a weird tagline. And like people make fun of that one all the time because they're like, what does that mean? Um, uh, and then uh, the other ones, if you think you're safe on campus, you're dead wrong. The sum of the parts equals the whole body. Well, when like you that meet one. him. Yeah. Um, no, there's some like clever pun work here. When you meet him, you'll go to pieces. And then this one, so great. Fear is so intense, it'll grab you by the balls. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that one's definitely the most generic, but I just had to because of grab you by the balls. Yeah. I mean, is it generic? That finale. That Oh, I didn't even piece that together. You're yeah. right. Yep. Oh, wow. And it will. That's why we, that's why we have a partnership. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no sequels and it doesn't set up for one. No, all. but it was talked about. It was, uh, the director, what they wanted one. It was super financially successful. And then he was tied up in other projects for like two years. By the time he could get around to it, even though it was successful, the pro like producers weren't really pushing that hard for it. So he didn't push for it. Interesting. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and our director is Juan, um, how did we decide? I think Picor. Picor Simone, um, who also directed The Rift, which is moderately well-known within horror, and then also directed Slugs. And I just have to bring this up because I just watched Slugs for the first time this year. I went, right before I moved to Southern California, I went on this big When the Animals Attack uh, binge. Um, I've always been a fan of like the nineties, you know, when animals attack movies, which were mostly aquatic, like I love like Placid and, um, Deep Blue Sea and Anaconda. Uh, but like, it was a massive trend in like the seventies and eighties for horror. And so I'd never seen any of those. So I went back and watched them and I watched slugs with my old roommate, Bobby, and, um, we both loved it. And I also like, that night that we were watching it, Bobby was just like, what the fuck are we watching? Like, he was so mad. He's like, you're gonna make me watch Slugs? And I just remember he kept looking over at me and he was like, this is really good. And I was like, I know, right? Um, and it genuinely shocked me actually how good it was. Um, so I was just very excited. And I remember when I watched Slugs and I looked it up, 
I remembered. I was like, this guy did like thinking like, oh, this guy did pieces. And then the same thing happened, you know, when I'm doing the research today, I'm like, oh yeah, what this guy, I was like, I know this guy did something I, I like. And I was like, oh, this guy did slugs. Um, so I was really excited about slugs. Um, slugs. Say slugs. Slugged. Um, you just got slugged. And then our writers are Dick Randall, who, so Dick Randall actually wrote a short, like, um, like a spec script for this. Um, he didn't write the whole thing. It was like a very abbreviated version that um, was fleshed out then by Robert, uh, Roberto Lo Loyola and our director. Um, and Juan a lot Before of it Simone. Wrong, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but Dick Randall wrote a short, he, he was a producer mostly. He did Don't Open Until Christmas and Slaughter High, as well as a bunch of softcore porno um, movies like The Erotic Adventures of Robinson Crusoe and Emmanuel Three, um, And then Robert Loyola, um, who was credited, get this, as John Shadow for this movie. Um, the only other writing credit he ever had was Tales of Canterbury, which is a Canterbury Tales riff. Um, but them with our director are the three writers for this movie. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, I have lots of fascinating stuff about this cast and crew. Thank you. Um, oh, yeah. That sounded uh, sarcastic. It wasn't. That was fascinating. Legitimately. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I realized as I said that I was like, it's not really the tone I meant. I'm just so used to being snarky. It just came out that way. Especially with me. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, there was two scores. Wow. Well, and so I know B and I for sure watched the international version. Um, and so, okay. The international version, they just use stock music. And so it's credited to everyone who like they use stock music from. Okay. Um, so that's why it felt so lackluster and generic. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, I was like this. Yeah. I had no notes. I kept listening. I'm like, I can't even make an assessment on the score because it's not even. It's it's literally it's almost like when you look into it. It's I mean these people. It's just like stock music from like it's like background music from movies. Yeah, they, they already I felt like it was mostly just like they'd weirdly be playing something and it'd be like a really weird song and they'd be like, turn that down and then they turn it down and then the music was gone in the whole movie. Yeah. Um, so Silvano Comenti, uh, Stelvio Soprani, Carla Mario Cordio, Fabio Frizzi, um, Stephen Hamm, Elaine LaRue, and Enrico Pier Piernuzzi are credited as the international score. That's a fuckload of people. Yeah. Um, but Labrada Pastor did the Spanish version, who also did Satan's Blood and Extraterrestrial Visitors. Um, and I didn't mark all of the people who worked on Extraterrestrial Visitors, but as we go through this, a ton... A ton of the cast and crew from also this did movie that. also did that, but also not just did that, but a ton of other, like they're all kind of interloping somewhere. Like it's like, okay, like if this guy did extraterrestrial visitors, maybe he didn't work on slugs, but he also worked on supersonic man. Right. And then this guy did work on slugs. He didn't work on supersonic man, but he worked on the rift. Like, so this group, like they were all heavily involved. Um, a lot um, in in during uh, Juan Picor Simone's like run in the like mid eighties there. Gotcha, yeah. that makes sense. That's mm -hmm. a sort of pull from the people that I mean, if you like working with somebody. Well, and I I would be 
I like, I would be very interested one day to hopefully, and I'm sure I can find the content now, but like what the filmmaking scene in Spain was like, because I imagine it was probably very small and tight knit. So right. once you find people that you, like you films. said, once you find people that are you like and that are making films, you probably just stick it out with them. Um, our editor is Antonio Gimino, who has over 158 credits. They're almost all Spanish and Italian wow. films, but he did also work on The Rift and Supersonic Man. Um, and then our cinematographer is Juan Marine, known as John, they super Americanizes his name for this movie. So his name is Juan Marine, but they call him John Marine. Um, and he also worked on The Rift and Supersonic Man. Gotcha. Um, oh, this cast is it's big. It's so it's big because they they name like everyone. Yeah. I this I I still excluded like probably another fifteen people. They yep. literally name like the jazzercise instructor. Dude, it was it was so big, and like one of the trivia things I was reading is that like part of the reason why they ended up doing some improv like improv in the script is because like the director kept running into cool places to shoot and wanted to just incorporate. He's like, Oh, this would be a cool place to shoot. So like, I'm going to write a scene that has this. And then they just filled it with cast members. Like it was just nuts. Um, so um, Edmund Perdome as the Dean, who is our killer um, 95 credits. He's in don't open till Christmas. Um, and then our final girl is uh, Mary Riggs, who's played by Linda Day, um, who's most known for being in the Mission Impossible TV series and Mortuary. Um, Christopher George as Lieutenant Bracken, also in Mortuary. He's in Graduation Day, um, City of the Living Dead. Um, he had a couple more like horror credits, too. He was definitely the most like, like In the genre. Um, and I would definitely say like those three are for sure like our main characters, the ones that uh, we Those see. Those three a and lot. then that kid Kendall. The kid, yeah. yeah, who's like thinking about because I don't know. I got really confused at the storyline at a couple points. I'm like, what is he and trying he's to do? Like, interested like, in Mary Riggs. Yeah. Yeah. I well, I mean, know. and this story is so weird. Like Mary Riggs is a detective who's also a tennis champion. <laughs> like, yeah. And he like <laughs> brings her in so she can be undercover. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, and then, you know, there's like our big red herring, the uh, lands keeper guy. Oh, yeah. Will be, uh, yeah, we'll get to him. We'll get to him. Um, so uh, Frank Brana plays Sergeant Randy Holden in Slugs, The Rift. Um, Ian Sarah as Kendall, the kid we were talking about. He's in the Extraterrestrial Visitors. Um, Paul Smith as Willard, uh, Popeye, the movie or the show? Yeah, he's in the movie the with movie. Ron Williams. He plays Bluto, which totally made, I mean, he looks like fucking Bluto. So That's I just funny. thought that was fun. Yeah. Um, Dune, uh, Conan, um, Jack Taylor as Professor Arthur Brown, 126 credits. Holy moly. Also and in Conan. I Right. I, I, so I, I only tagged that too because I thought it was funny when I was researching. So Jack Taylor and Paul Smith are two of the only ones in the main cast that don't really like run with their crew. But, but they were in a movie together. Both ended up in Kona together. Yeah. So crazy. Um, yeah. 
Gerard Titchy as Dr. Jennings, May Heatherly as Mrs. Reston, Hilda Fuch as Grace, Roxana Nieto as Virginia, aka the Chainsaw Victim, um, Christina Catrelli as Jenny, our pool victim, Leticia Marfil as Susie, the locker room victim, and Sylvia Gambino as Mary, the elevator victim, because this truly is a introduced characters to kill them movie, 100%. Oh, it's, a, it's super body yeah. horror movie. Yeah. Um, and like I said, there's even more, but um, they weren't like, they weren't victims and they weren't main characters, so I didn't include them, but it is very interesting that when they were writing the script, um, and I think we've seen this before, and I feel like it's with the Italian movies that they give names to everyone. So um, it's just, I think it is like, um, you know, a European thing. Right. Which is funny because like one of the, I don't know, jokes about telling if an American script is good is if the characters have last names. Like, if the screenwriter didn't make an effort to put last names, the movie's not very good. Like, that's like one of those, like, hacks or whatever. Um, right. So it's funny. Uh, I, didn't, I don't think I ever realized that might have been just, like, a regional American thing. But I wonder if it is. I, yeah, I, I, I want to go and look That now, might just be the like joke, funny. right? That, like, Americans are so lazy, they're not even going to assign a last name to a character. Yep. His name's just going to be Joe. Like yeah. how long are these or people even, spending on these? Characters. Yeah, like how many? Like how many times like, do you see it's like party guy? Uh -huh. and it's like, <laughs> yeah, dude, how long did you spend on the script? You couldn't even think of a name for him. Isn't that like half the fun? That's yeah, like, like half I mean, the fun when I played Sims was just creating names for my fucking people. Well, and that's like they're still assigned which victims they are. That's literally their name in the credits. Is like yeah. chainsaw victim, um, but. Virginia, the chainsaw victim. Um, right. But yeah, I just, I just thought that was really funny. Um, this is a hard one to classify because the movie is very weird um, and like kind of sporadic and all over the place. I put Teen Scream because they're kind of teenagers. Um, yeah, it, it runs under the yeah. I guess. Um, so I also yeah. put School Campus Slasher because that is more fitting. Um, and then it is probably most like a Giallo. Um, mm -hmm. lots of like giallo overtones, especially with our killer. Um, most of the time he's like very like covered in shadows. He's wearing like a long trench coat and gloves. Um, his face is covered. He has like a fedora. Um, do you know so what's funny though? Is that one of the trivias that I read was like they came out because I think there was a documentary made about that. Well, I know that this film has been talked about a lot. I don't know if it has its actually own documentary. I didn't look that far into it. But at one point, they, the director was interviewed and said, he it's not a Giallo-influenced killer. He's based off of The Shadow. The, the Like, like the 1930s, yeah. I mean, he does look like The Shadow. Yeah, and uh, he's supposed to. But that's interesting because, I mean, then the shadow could look like a giallo killer. They just happen yeah. to blend together. So they I happen mean, to look the same, but they, yeah, wanted to make the distinction that the killer was based off of the shadow. Interesting. Um, and uh, this movie also gets classified a lot with body horror, um, which was 
relatively still like new in this time. Um, we haven't seen like a ton of body horror stuff. Um, so while it is very much a slasher, like it does have a lot of body horror stuff and would go on to influence number a number of body horror things. Well, and I wonder too if because when I think of body horror, I think of the it's funny this is like a proto body horror um because when i think of like the subgenre of body horror i definitely think of like the focus of like the dread and the fear and the tension being focused around the body and having like a, a lot more tension around the actual like mutilization and then a lot of scenes focused on whatever the aftermath of it is or the action of it is um when you when that's the focus right and this one definitely still plays into the slasher elements of there's a shit ton of gore and the kills are violent and graphic Uh in particular for this time but it's like they're very quick showed yeah yeah everything yeah yeah and i also wonder if part of that influences the fact that We'll kind of get into some of these things because there's some uh, like icky details of the the behind the scenes of this movie that I think we definitely need to address. Um, yeah. And one of those being the fact that all of the gore is from actual animals. Yes. Yeah. Um, he used mutilated pig bodies yeah. um, for all the gore. It's gross. Um, the killer is the Dean and he, uh, murdered his mother as a child and has trauma from an abusive relationship. Uh, that's how like our movie starts is he's making a puzzle and it's like a, you know, like risque puzzle. It's like a nudie puzzle, right? Is that a thing? Um, What was that a thing? Yeah, I think so. Like Uh, a a you would do a nude puzzle. That seems like a lot of work to see a vagina. Yeah, but like you had to work to see a vagina back then. Like, I mean, yeah, but like, I mean, where, like, like versus like a magazine, right? But like more mag, like Playboy was one of the first like nudie magazines, and I in the like you know our prologue takes place in the sixties, and so yeah. like, um, I guess I just think like is that something that was in? I I mean, obviously it was. It's just not something I would have thought was in production as like a pornographic thing. I mean, like, remember, I mean, remember, like, we saw it, but, like, how they used to, like, they used to put out nudie comics, and, like, that's the only way you could see naked women is, like, in comic book, not, and not even, like, comic book, but, like, you know, like, literally, like, illustrated, like, dirty pictures. Right. I don't know. I just feel like the production of a puzzle is pretty intense and puzzles are typically marketed towards children. What grown man is going to be like, I'm going to buy this puzzle of a woman so I can put together her, you know? I mean, I don't know. Don't, don't yuck me. their yum. Maybe they get turned on by slowly putting them. Well, I mean, They're let's. edging champions. Right? <laughs> no, but seriously, like, and I love that that is the whole, like, plot device of this film that they honestly should have explored more, but that is what it's really about. Like, building, like, one. Like, if you really want to get deep about pieces, you could just say that this whole, like, analogy with the puzzle and, in turn, what he ends up doing in real life with these women is that he has the opportunity to, like, build exactly what he wants and put together, yeah. like, at his own time and pace, like, 
the perfect satisfaction. Um, yeah. And like, they literally, um, that the woman in it is credited as the jigsaw woman too. So, um, that's definitely like the whole, the idea and the conceit for, for it. Um, and so the iconic weapon is a chainsaw. He does use another weapon. Um, like he he uses uses a knife knife and then axe at the very beginning when he kills his mother. Um, but the chainsaw is definitely the iconic weapon here. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, it's, it's like a bright yellow. It almost looks like a toy chainsaw, you know, like the mm-hmm. ones that you give kids. Um, yeah. So yeah, our movie takes place. It starts in the sixties. And like I said, it's our Dean. Um, he has a first name and I can't remember, but Mr. Resson. Um, and he, his mother comes in and she starts like literally, you know, pretty much physically abusing him because he's playing with this puzzle. And so he strikes out and kills her. And then he, um, he like fakes it for the police that she attacked him and he killed her in self-defense, um, which is kind of true, right? No, he, he thinks say- that like it was just he, his mom was killed. They don't think he oh, did. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. It was just Because uh, he's hiding he, in the closet, right? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, mommy, mommy. Like he fakes it like that had happened and he just went and hid in the closet. Right. And then so like here's the thing too, like – we don't know it. It's not like we don't know that's him until the end of the movie. So th- when you first watch this movie, that that prologue seems one hundred percent just like disconnected, and like you're kind of in the back of your head going like, "What did that have to do with everything?" And like you have an idea of like maybe yeah, you that's just our ass- killer, but yeah, you no just assume it's your killer. Yeah, you just don't yeah. know who it is. Um. So here's the thing. Like we said, this plot is hackneyed and all over the place, and trying to like go through it with any semblance of order or logic is nonsensical because the the like general plot of the movie is um you know that someone is killing women on this campus um and the police are getting involved and like it it's weird the plot kind of changes halfway through because like the first half is literally just like the police are inspecting these murders on this campus and then the second half of the movie becomes about this tennis champion slash detective Detective. who goes undercover at the school um to team up with one of the students who is like an intern at the at the police station to try and discover who the killer is so um I mean, she does become like our quote unquote final girl, um, Mary Riggs, but she literally isn't introduced until like halfway through the movie because we spend so much time just like on campus with with basically like check out all these brutal kills that are happening. And then our our like um, detectives, uh, Lieutenant Bracken and Sergeant Randy Holden are kind of the main police officers investigating until we meet um, uh, Mary. While all this is happening, like also like B said, we're just constantly introduced to people that are doing things and then getting killed. Um, we're just introduced to like naked people who then find themselves in a situation to get stalked for a minute and then murdered. Yes. And they're all doing like really random things. Like this campus has everything. Um, that's what they I'm saying. I think like, that's where like the improv came in is like, like, oh yeah, okay, cool. This room is really neat. Let's shoot here. And oh, this pool super cool. Let's shoot a scene at this pool. Yeah. So like Virginia like, I have is access like- to a famous Bruce Lee impersonator. So we're gonna put a scene with a Bruce Lee impersonator in it. 
Right. I didn't even include him in the credits either because he was listed as like additional actor, but his name, his name, he went by Bruce Lay uh-huh. uh, instead of Bruce Lee. And he pops in for a moment and because one of the, he pops in and attacks Mary Riggs and she kicks him in the balls. And then like a student comes by and he goes, what's my Kung Fu teacher doing here? And he's like, I had some bad chop suey. It's super fucking weird. Um, yeah. Uh, Virginia, so Virginia is our first victim. She's literally just like laying out on the lawn um, when our killer comes up broad daylight and just. Well, yeah, chops her after head off. this like really weird scene where we think she's gonna be like our final girl because she's like skateboarding through campus on like a freaking penny board. And it's like this whole sort of like, oh, it's really fun. We're gonna get to know this character. She's skateboarding through campus. And then she like runs into this mirror thing and then we cut to this scene where she's like laying out studying and it's like okay apparently when i was looking into the research that scene of her running into the mirror and like surviving the mirror was supposed to break and the dean was there and that's what inspired him to piece together because he saw her body broken in the mirror and that was supposed to inspire him to do his a real life jigsaw which i think is a cool idea but for whatever reason they just didn't take that idea farther but they kept that scene in which is super strange um because yeah then they cut to her laying out and then all of a sudden, like in broad daylight, guy just comes out with a fucking chainsaw, and you're like, "Oh, okay, holy shit!" And, and, pops her head off. And so, like, yeah, and every every chainsaw scene is very bloody, like, yeah, especially for the era, hella bloody. Um, I did read too that like this was inspired by a lot of the splatter, um, like the the like Herschel Gordon Lewis and those guys who started making like splatter movies. Um, so it was like also kind of part of that wave. This piece is very odd because like as fitting as it is randomly, like it is pieces of lots of different things kind of just shoved together um, into this like wacky kind of movie. Um, well, yeah, because also there's some stuff which I also really liked where like in the beginning where it kept cutting to him like putting – like taking out the box of like his mother's dress and like the puzzle pieces and all this stuff. And then like it kept cutting to him, then putting the, you know, I'm really trying to tell you like these are related. Like me killing these women is relating back to this puzzle. Cause look, now I'm completing the puzzle even more. Like I liked that it had like, I don't even know like the right genre to fit in. And I don't know if that belongs to a genre, but it weirdly reminded me of like modern day, like saw, like it felt oh, like yeah. something you mm-hmm. would have seen like jigsaw doing. Um, yeah. And so I, I like could see like the inspiration there and like, I don't know, maybe pieces I'm like not familiar enough with like this type of slasher slash, I'm definitely not familiar with any of like the Splatterhouse movies at all. And so I don't know if that was they, common to have themes like that in there or if it was more just sort of about the gore like this is, but I liked those yeah, moments. A lot of the Splatter movies are, the plots are really weird. Uh, like the one that comes to mind for me is Blood Feast. And the plot of that one is like the guy 
is making he's just killing people to make a sacrifice to the the god osiris of egyptian mythology to try to become immortal so it's just like it's a plot but like really it's just an excuse to like be super super bloody um so like i think that this does feel a little more slasher ish with it hints at those like deeper details but it just never fully dives into them you know um jennifer or jenny is uh our next she's the one who jumps in the pool and is uh caught with a pool net um before she is like fished out of the pool and then also uh she's dismembered um i do like the consistency though because like our chainsaw kills we get decapitation dismembered arms cut off and bisection so like they do stay true to the theme of like he's he is piecing them together because mm -hmm. he does cut them all up differently because um, mm -hmm. he's looking for different like body parts well and i do like that they do throw in bits of like the stock before every kill it's not just like a surprise there they are like they try even if it's only for like five or ten seconds they do try and play up like the look of the killer a bit um and sort of have these like moments of suspense which i appreciated yeah um and so keep in mind too while all this is happening there's this constant like background story going on of the police trying to figure out who it is and like lots of red herrings somewhere in the middle of this like we said the landskeeper is arrested because he's he does find like the pool victim first and like he's a giant man and they like attack him and he's violent because he's attacked obviously and, and then yeah, like the it's really weird the whole time because they want you to think it's him i mean i would just i was convinced it was him I'm like yeah i mean for sure it's him yeah um yeah so like that's all happening in the background and then all the stuff like we said with like mary riggs getting undercover in the school and then kendall is like this student who's like he's like interning at the police department and he's also like really into mary so they're like working together um mary ann is the next to die um her arms are cut off with a chainsaw and that is in the elevator which mm -hmm. was one of the particularly nasty like aftermath scenes um her body looks gross yeah um, she's coming like, and even like during the kill like blood just pouring out of her arms and whew. yeah um yeah uh sylvia is next she's one of the ones that stabbed with a with a kitchen knife mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, Susie is... Yeah, she's, like, laying on, like, a water bed. So she's getting chased, and she yeah. ends up on, like... Well, yeah, it's, like, some kind of, like, water bed type thing, and she's just stabbed over and over. Um, yeah. And over and over. Um, and then it's visually, like, a really interesting kill because then... Like, the waterbed's been pierced, and so she's trying to, like, turn around and, like, roll over on this waterbed, and it's full of blood, and then he starts stabbing her in the back, and then literally stabs her through the back of her head through her oh, yeah. her throat. And then yeah. the knife comes through, um, through her throat. It's, like, it's intense for sure, and, like, visually pretty stunning with the the water that's the thing that's like with this movie too it's so visual like the kill stuff is very visual like i mean one it's a little exploitative right because it's always like naked women um but it is like very well done like the practical effects are really good um and like really gory especially for the era um and 
like stylistically it works a lot like the kills are crafted well um and like our killer isn't like particularly fascinating but still like looks cool and ominous but like all the stuff in between is just so wonky and weird and like we run into that like kind of thing where it feels like a like a, a raunchy sex comedy without yeah. the but like even this has none of the sex stuff that cheerleader yeah. camp did um it's just like all like weird like drama stuff like police procedural and then drama stuff that just um, that doesn't add anything to you it's like all of these kills just go to like such a waste because when you get to them they're incredible but everything to get to them is just it's nonsense it's yeah. just absolute nonsense and like we really aren't learning anything about our characters either. Like We're this isn't a normal to slasher them. movie. Yeah, no, not at all. Like this is the part in a normal horror movie or slasher movie where we're getting attached to our characters. We're getting attached. We're learning about our final world. We're possibly learning about our killer. Um, we're getting attached to our supporting characters. None of that happens here. Um, Susie is the next kill. She's bisected with a chainsaw, which is again, it's like it ramps up the whole movie, right? Because it's it's also very brutal. Um, and then the <laughs> she's like alive. Like they make it a, a point to show that she's alive while she's getting bisected. Um, if you don't know what bisected means, just so you know, it means literally getting cut in half. So she's like cut in half from the at the torso. Um, this scene though, so they find her. Like Kendall's the first to find her, and then he tells Mary, and then Mary Riggs like has this scene where she's just screaming. She's like, "No, no, you bastard!" you bastard she's just like screaming it over and over again um it is super melodramatic and like really campy and over the top um like it's the type of thing that you would see in a satire of a slasher movie yeah um oh and then yeah a note on this kill too so if you see like right before um the our killer like breaks through the door and is about to cut her in half. They like cut to the girl like urinating in her pants and like that's real. Um because they used a real that was a real chainsaw they're using. And chainsaws and real knives. Yeah. So the actress was so she was scared. She like actually like peed and they liked it and decided to keep it in the film, which I don't really think is like the right decision to make. Um, yeah, it's a form of abuse for sure. Yeah. Um, like they should not have used that in the film, uh, even like at all. Um, yeah. It's, and there's it's like no comp. Yeah, there's no commentary like that. Then maybe it's out there, but I, the information I found was literally just real chainsaw was used. The actress was so scared that she actually, you know, wet her pants. The director liked the reaction and put it put it, put the accident in the film. Um, so I don't know like any of the other context or the information, but based off that information, that's. Um, like really humiliating and like to be put through that while you're at work and then to have it be put in the film is like not okay. Um, and so that just makes me uncomfortable. And then the kill before that with the knife, that was a real knife. 
um, that was used and there was no, um, nothing happened, but like the director's on record saying he was nervous about it. And apparently at the premiere of the film, the actress couldn't watch the scene who is the victim because she was, she was so uncomfortable. Um, because I mean, I can only imagine having somebody over you with a real knife, just hoping they don't accidentally slip and stab you. Uh, Like it's definitely something it's funny that we are doing this movie right now because, um, self plug, uh, we are horror zine. We just brought BJ Colangelo on as our first full time, um, columnist for our Patreon. And her first column is about Kubrick's abuse of Shelley Duvall on the shining set and how mm-hmm. we need to stop glorifying it because it was abuse. Um, and it essentially ruined her career. Um, so like when you brought that stuff to my attention tonight, I was like, Ooh, that's like timely for me. Cause I just read a whole article about like why this shit is really not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did kind of actually sour my opinion a little bit on the movie. Cause I like this movie more than B does. Um, but like knowing that I was like, ugh, like I felt a little yucky because I'm like, I don't like that shit at all. Um, like no matter how you paint it, like that's abuse. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the like basically we reach our culmination where Mary goes over to the Dean's house. She is not aware that it's the Dean, but while this is happening, um, Kendall and um, detect or Lieutenant Bracken figure it out. It is so like they're rushing over there. The Dean, um, he like point, he sedates her because he plans mm-hmm. on killing her while she's alive. Um, but they get there in time. She like breaks her sedation enough to hold him off from killing her. And then they shoot the Dean in the head. Um, and then in a very weird, um, in a very, very weird ending, um, they like open a closet and the jigsaw girl falls out, like the girl that he's been building. And then like, it's all in like slow motion, which is very common for this era, right? Like when she comes out, but then like it cuts away, they're taking the Dean's body away. They have the girl covered up on the floor and Kendall's there and, um they're like okay you should go home he's like let me grab my coat and he grabs his coat and he puts it on and then out of nowhere the jigsaw girl reaches her hand up and rips his penis off (laughs) um which is great because when you look up how kendall dies well quote unquote dies we don't see him die but like it says dick ripped off so like uh there it's it's i mean the movie's nonsensical to begin with but at least it's like loosely based in a reality of like there's a man who's a sociopath who is murdering people with a chainsaw and then at the end it goes full tilt super fucking weird i supernatural i guess of right because our and is alive and rips his wiener off um and that's how the movie fucking ends yeah um it's very very weird i forgot about that that ending too um because i was like watching and i was like she falls on him and there was a part of me i was like oh, that's weird. I thought I remember like something else happening. And then when the whole penis thing happened, I was like, yep, that was the really weird part. That was the part I was remembering. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's your classic, I mean, it's a slasher trope, right? The the killer comes back. Um, it's just a different take because it's not our killer. It's technically our victims um, coming back to kill our final boy yeah yeah i guess he would you have a final girl and a final boy yeah Um, i mean if i mean i don't think either of them really 
classify as I mean they they don't neither of them classify as a final girl or final boy um they're just the only main characters we really have besides that are young I mean is she even a young adult she seems way older than him she seems at least in her 30s um, yeah like mid 30s Um, and then he seems like this college kid who's got a crush on her and yeah but she is also like kind of interested in him so I don't know yeah um, but I mean, we've had a couple of these episodes where we've talked about their final girl and boy by circumstance, not by, right. you know, like design. Um, so yeah, Mary Riggs and Kendall are technically our final girl and boy. Um, but they don't earn that role really. Right. They don't have any kind of arc or path uh, to get there. Yeah. Um, survive. Yep. Uh, I do have a... I mean, I, uh, my favorite kill, uh, we're on to favorite kill. My favorite kill is the bisection because of the brutality of it all. Um, but I did say that the, uh, the dick ripoff is a close one. Um, I just don't count it cause we don't see him die. So you can survive that. Uh, yeah, you could survive your get like yeah. people get their dick ripped off or like yeah. at least torn off or something. Yeah. So I, I assume, oh, oh yeah, that dude. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yes, uh, the bisection was mine just because of, you know, I'm a fan of gore, so we'll yeah, that one. and mine is definitely, like, the waterbed death. Um, it's just so visually gorgeous and um, way more artful of a kill than I was expecting in this movie. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised, and, like, as it was happening, I'm like, that's nice. And then as I was saying that in my head, I'm like, God, you're so fucked up. <sighs> and then continued watching the movie. Yeah. That is the one thing we know about ourselves. It's like, it's funny. It is always funny watching these movies. So I watched this and my roommate was like walking in and I watched it in the living room. So my roommate was like walk, walking in and out of the room. And like, I kept going like, Oh, I was like, Oh, isn't that so, wasn't that so cool. And he was like, I guess <laughs> and it's like, like he doesn't watch horror movies at all. So he was just like, um, sure, I guess is that cool? <laughs> yeah, I just kept telling um, Ben, I'd be like, oh, boobs. Oh, boobs. I'm like, fuck, there's a lot of boobs in this movie. I was like, oh, penis. There's a penis. Yeah, I wasn't expecting did. that. And then I was like, oh, oh, boobs again. And he's like, oh, yeah? And then he like looked. He's like, uh, that's kind of disappointing. I'm like, I'll let you know if a good pair shows up. Um, I mean, it's European. That's why that we got so much of both. Yeah. Uh, I do have a favorite quote for this one because I heard it and immediately fell in love with it. Um, yeah, I wrote down the exact same one. I was uh, laughed when I came to scroll to put my quote in. I was like, yep, that's that's my quote. Yep. So there's this like teacher that is another red herring. Um, they like all tease him for being potentially a homosexual. Um, and so like they constantly are trying to get him to like be sexual with the girls. It's really awful. Um, but one of the women that like right before she goes up to him, they're just like to show that they're like teenagers in the hallway. They're having like a conversation that we just drop into the middle of. And she goes, the most beautiful thing in the world is smoking pot and fucking on a waterbed at the same time. <laughs> so uh, um, if anyone out there has done that, let us know if that is the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah, I definitely was like, I wonder if I know anybody who's had sex on a waterbed. Then I definitely looked up waterbeds after that. And, like, if they're still a thing, can you still get one? Like, what I need to know if anybody I wants do. to hit. 
not want to have sex on a laundry bed. If anybody wants to hit us up and be like, hey, you can email us, um, make up an email address if you want to be anonymous and like let us know your waterbed sex story. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be a, a bonus episode. We'll uh, share your stories. Um, yeah. Bonus points if you've done it well also smoking a cigarette. But, you know, we won't yes. be picky. Right. Um, and then bonus points if you decide to not be anonymous. Oh, yeah. Extra uh, bonus points. Yeah. Um, stars. This movie is a cult classic. It has definitely picked up steam in the last couple of years. Um, and like like B said, though, even in the drive-in era, it solidified itself as a cult classic even then. So it's continued to like be that movie um, that like it's like that movie that when you mention it, like horror fans are usually like, oh, yeah, like I hear that movie's like wild. Um, so it, it's it's well known mostly in the horror circles. It's definitely, again, like if you're a commonplace horror fan, like if you're just a casual horror fan, you're not going to know what the fuck this is. No, I listed off like because go us. We know what we're doing for like the next few episodes. And so telling our friend Lo because she always likes to keep up with us. And I was like, oh, oh, she was watching something. She's like, oh, you, are you guys going to cover this? I'm like, oh, yeah, someday this is what we're doing, like, upcoming. And I list off four movies. She's like, I've never heard of any of those. I'm like, yeah, that's 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 okay. These None of these are none of these are big ones. That's okay. Um, yeah, I think the biggest one we're covering soon is one of our Halloween ones. Um, and that one even, like, went under the radar a lot. So uh, this is our 60 eighth movie um so if you guys are new to the show just so you know we keep a list of all of the slashers that we cover um you can find that at keep screaming keep screaming.com slash the dash list um and we rank them in order of how they how well they work as a slasher um we always like to like let you know if this is your first episode like these are not ranked in order of our favorites these are not ranked in order of what we think are good and bad it's kind of like do they follow the the slasher formula and trends and how well do they work for a slasher and there's some slightly different rules for when we cover things like proto slashers and, and things but um i mean this movie came out decidedly in the slasher era um yes. it does have some proto slasher things uh about it it's like right on the cusp there um but yeah, yeah it's it is weird right. because it literally came out right after like the big boom of the big ones in 1980 and 1981, mm -hmm. and when we like got our blueprint. Um, but I, I'm just be curious to see if the proto elements are just because it is Spanish. Uh, Spanish. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I was wondering too. I was like, were they a little bit? It feels yeah. Yeah. Um, Number one on our list is Nightmare on Elm Street um, from 1984. Uh, that I, it's hard. For, I always just want to say my bloody Valentine because it was number one for so long. Um, yeah, Nightmare for like just, two and a half years. Yeah, Nightmare just overtook it. So it's Nightmare on Elm Street, My Bloody Valentine, and Black Christmas, all the original versions of those movies. And then at the bottom of our list, we have April Fool's Day from 08, April Fool's Day from 1986, and Girls Night Out. Um, I know B, you don't like this movie. Um, and I do think that it only follows some basic slasher tropes. Um, 
And funnily enough, like looking at it, I'm looking around, considering one of the writers also produced Slaughter High, I'm looking yeah. right around Slaughter High because mm-hmm. yeah. it has a lot of those kind of like, it's kind of like hodgepodge, you know, like we have the killer, we have the cool kills. We do technically have like a backstory flash forward, which is a big one. Um, which is family related. Yeah. Um, and like, that's a big one. So like that for me, at least puts it ahead of like a lot of those, like at least so ahead of like cheerleader camp and homes. We home. Um mm-hmm. God, I hated prom night from 08 to seeing it on the list. I'm like, God, um, <laughs> uh, and then even like looking, so yeah, this well, is like, a do you know what's actually kind of funny is part of this really plays out like the prom night remake. Um, because it acts like a pol- police procedural. Um, we have, we don't ha- really have a final girl and like prom night sets us up better with like a likable cast that we can follow along with right, um, and actually feel sucks. connected to or a killer sucks, completely sucks. Um, totally lacks in that department. Um, but like the end plays out really similarly where like the cops, the one who gets the killer with a gun. Um, so it's funny that they kind of mirror themselves in that way. Um, so, so, yeah, so what prom night gets, uh, gives us in like plot development with our cast of um, co-eds uh, where we get to know them and feel invested in them and like them. We get none of that in um, pieces, but we do get a very interesting killer and kills. Right. It's like um, if, if those movies could have just. Right. So now I'm looking at like Slaughter High. I mean, this fits like right in line with, mm-hmm. with, with these. Um, yeah. So Slaughter High, we have. God, I can't remember. We don't have a flash forward <clears throat> in that, right? We do because they torture the kid and they're there for a reunion. Oh, right, right, right. They're there like, that's for not that. That's the whole premise. But then the we get like premise. a flash back yeah. because it's right. not real. Um, right. So I almost like, at least, I don't know, like, um, yeah. I would say yeah. this probably still works better than Slaughter High. Okay. So now we're looking at Mischief Night 2013, um, which is your classic, like, cat and mouse kind mm-hmm. of. Stock. Stock the final girl in the house, get to know her and her family. These killers trying to. Right. Um, it's just kind of like, I think mischief night's only problem is it's a little generic, you know? Right. Um, but it, and it also doesn't have like a family thing. Um, really. I mean, we get the family well, that's there that, that dies, but that's right. not related to the kills that take place yeah. in the present. Um, yeah, the kills are just all related to the fact that we've just found, we know that our final girls in the situation of being the next one to be killed off by these people. Right. So, I don't know. I almost even put this above Mischief Night. Mm-hmm. I almost, I, I'm already even thinking maybe above the Carpenter as a pure slasher. Because I love the Carpenter. Love the carpenter. Um, but, like, the Carpenter. Yeah, the, the Carpenter's a lot like this in the way. Movie. Yeah. Well, the Carpenter's a lot like this in the way that it's, like, totally all over the place. Um, right. And has some like weird, like really nice, but weird moments where you're like, wow, this is really cool if it was like in a different movie. Like, right. 
Um, but like as a pure slasher, I think pieces still probably works better. When yeah. We're talking about like just like the killer himself, the actual kills, the I mean, the only thing I'd say the carpenter beats this really on is our final girl is like our main character and she earns her mm -hmm. her like ending. Her yeah. Yeah. Um but like I think the kills are better, the killer's better. Um, we, uh, I think I, that family, I really wish they just dived more into like the Dean building that woman. And I get that they couldn't because they didn't want to reveal too much like that. It was him, I guess, but, yeah, it just but we kinda... knew it was the kid. We knew it was the puzzle. Like they gave us all those other scenes. They should have dived into more of like that and it would have yes. been a much better film, but right. it's not. So here we are. Right. Um, like, yeah, and then we have the 2019 Black Christmas, which, you know, sets us up perfectly for a slasher. It's campus-based. We're following a group of girls. They get killed off, like, one by one by, like, a mysterious killer. Um, it just, the twist of that film turns it into... I, yeah, I was going to say, um, Black, Black Christmas, the 2019 one, um really fumbles the ending for a but slasher yeah, movie. Yeah. But then it takes a twist and then it takes away all of the slasher stuff and then it's not really a slasher anymore. It gives us like three quarters of a slasher movie and then the finale is like, well, just kidding. Right. So, I mean, that suddenly puts us now looking at Alone in the Dark. Which is, I mean, a true... It's a pretty... It's a slasher. It's a home invasion slasher. Mm -hmm. um, follows a family. Follows a family. It doesn't follow like the that follows like the trope of like which isn't necessarily a slasher trope. It's just a horror trope of like the asylum people gone mad and killing people instead of. Damn, we're just chipping our way up. Um, I, yeah. Instead of this this true blueprint, you know, when we're looking at Friday, we're looking at my bloody Valentine. Like if you're like the perfect slasher, which really like family trauma flash forward that affects a group of people getting killed off. Um, usually in a small set, like, you know, these are all the things in a small setting. We've got the campus, you know, um, Ideally, we're following the whole group of people and we're not. That's what we really lack in pieces is mm -hmm. that when we hit our flash forward, we're, we're hit with just a random group of people with no real knowledge of the connection to the first one um, until we hit our finale. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, he's doing it because of that. Right. Um, I, actually, I actually think this works better as a slasher than Alone in the Dark, but Dream Home is where I actually think Dream Home works better. Because it's it's funny the more like we talk about them, seem similar. They yeah. are. I was just thinking, yeah. like Dream, Dream Home has like showcases some really cool kills, but like mm -hmm. the plot is kind of whatever. You know, um, no, I will give that. at least Dream Home though it does have a plot. Like, right, you know, right. she's trying to lower the financial um, market mm -hmm. on this place. But, like, really, it's a flimsy plot to showcase these kills where Pieces does the same thing, but the plot is even, like, more flimsy. Right. Um, and they it's showcase... still familiar-related. 
Um, oh yeah, Dream Home's uh, familial related. There is no final girl either because our final girl is our killer. Right. Um, which, which is still a slasher trope. You can follow either or, your final girl or your killer. Right, because, you know, look at Silent Night, Deadly Night. So I, I think mm-hmm. Dream Home is where we draw the line and we actually get to something that Dream Home is like, oh, better. Okay. Yeah. I agree. I feel good. Good with that. Place but that it. does rank higher than I thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, just I'm because just... I was bored doesn't mean it's not no. a slasher. Well, it just means it was boring. Well, and also look at like some of the movies we love and how low they're ranked, you know? That's why we do this. Um, it is funny how many of these proto slashers keep ending up right or right around each other though. Just like so mm-hmm. or like even though this isn't like proto proto, it just feels so proto. It feels proto. <clears throat> yeah. No, it definitely it lays in that land of like the proto and or the ones or it's like kind of the three tier, the proto, the foreign, um, which those often two tie together or the ones that um, try and do something different um, where it's like, you know, like happy death day where it is a slasher, but they try and like flip the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, those three, we always have trouble ranking because we, it basically has to come down to how well they fit the formula. And if they don't fit the formula, like are the other things they did better than the formula. Right. Right. Like and, we had to look at that, like with happy death day with final yeah. girls. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, cool. So yeah, that is our new number 50. Um, okay. So we do, B and I have stuff mapped out. We missed. So September is normally our back to school month and we missed it. So you're going to get a bonus episode probably this month. Um, or maybe even two, because mm-hmm. we try to get our Halloween ones in. So it looks like you're getting like probably two bonus episodes. Um, the next episode will be night school. Uh, and then I know we're covering, well, I know one of the Halloween ones we picked is Hellfest. Um, and, and I can't remember what the other one is. Um, the one you have seen, but I have not, which is also, so we're doing two new Halloween movies. Oh, right. Um, it's um, trick, trick, right? Yeah, yes. so it's trick. Yeah, so we are doing two newer, like new, new 2010s movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be cool because we we have some tw- we have some 2010 stuff, but um, we've stayed a lot in the 80s and the 2000s. Um, so yeah, keep your ears open. We'll have um, night school. We're going to be playing some catch up. So night school, Hellfest, not Bloodfest, um, and um, and trick. So. Those will be coming soon. And until then, keep screaming.